All right, hey, once you've met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat, but only once you've met someone. Uh, again, just want to say welcome, guys. So glad you're here. My name is Josiah. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you after service. Um, we are in the Gospel of Mark, so do me a favor. Uh, turn to the Gospel of Mark. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you one uh, so you can follow along with us. But we're in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Um, before I kind of review where we're at, just want to celebrate. Yesterday we had our big egg extravaganza. It's uh, our Easter egg hunt kind of thing happening here. Here's, here's a couple cool things just want you guys to know. Uh, the school here has been so, so good to us and so gracious to us. They actually let us pass home a thousand flyers to the kids here. Um, we had to remove anything religious on the flyer, so we removed our church name and our church website. But we had like a little QR code that like took them to our Facebook page, so kind of cheated. Um, but the cool thing is uh, we, we saw, I think, about 300 kids. We passed out 300 goodie bags. So about 300 kids. I mean, honestly, the majority of the families, like really all the families I met, many of the kids went here. Um, so, so many kids that go to the school is awesome. Uh, some faculty, some staff members were here from the school. Um, probably about 500 people in total. It was, just, it was just cool for us to meet our community. We just wanted to have yesterday be a day where we could just meet our neighbors, meet the people who live here, work here, go to school here, and just show them the love of Jesus. So um, we talked about last week how wherever Jesus went, there was like a feast, there was like a party going on, and that was kind of what's happening. Like, we want to bring, bring Jesus to them and kind of redefine maybe their thought of, of Christians, that wherever Jesus goes, joy goes. And so that was kind of our hope this weekend, and it seemed to be a lot of fun. So, so cool. Can we get up for Jesus and all the volunteers that made that happen? Because that was really a lot. It's a lot. It's awesome. So that was yesterday. Um, today's Palm Sunday, but we are in the Gospel of Mark. So again, Mark chapter 3, and let me just review really quick with you guys. We are taking the year to go through the Gospel of Mark. Um, we are a new church plant, obviously, in the area, and our desire is to focus on the life and ministry of Jesus. Mark begins his gospel by saying, here's the gospel. It's Jesus. And something we forget, the gospel isn't just message. The gospel isn't necessarily words. The gospel's a person, meaning Jesus is the good news. It's not that he came to bring us good news. He is the good news. He's what our heart has been looking for and wanting. And, and so we're kind of been working our way through this. And if you guys have been with us, you kind of see that each week it gets more intense. Jesus touches a leper, which you just don't do. Jesus forgives sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus eats with sinners and he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And now he claims to be the Lord. Like each week it gets more and more intense. We're more and more frustrated with Jesus. And so we're looking at these stories, but it's speaking to one greater story. The fact that wherever Jesus goes, renewal happens, life happens, that wherever Jesus goes, we just seem to see dead things come alive again. And so we're looking at our, we're trying to look at this big story and how we fit in. Because it's not how does God fit into my story, but how do we fit into his story? So not how does God fit into my life, but God is doing something, how do I fit into what he's doing? And so we're looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, and it's been awesome. And uh, just so you guys know, here's what's happening today. Um, you guys know that this Friday is Good Friday, and the next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And so uh, I've been getting ready for the Good Friday message this week. We have extravaganza. We have Easter coming up. So I have, I have a friend here who's going to be sharing the word with you guys today. And I'm excited. Before he comes up, I'm excited to share. Um, this has been a guy who's had to put up with me for a while. He was my boss for a while. Um, he's the director of discipleship at a school called CCA. And and I'm um, just so thankful for his friendship. He's been a guy that uh, I've just honored, like looked from afar and just honored his life. Like the way he treats his wife and kids. He just loves Jesus. You see Jesus in him. You see the joy of the Lord in him. Um, I could name like his pedigree and what he's done, but to be honest, he just loves Jesus so, so clearly. And I'm excited to hear the word from him today as we talk about Jesus and how we fit into this story. So would you guys welcome Steve Mayo as he comes and brings the word with you guys? Josiah, thank you. 
Um, I'm just excited to be here with you guys. I remember when, so I'll say this real quick. I remember when, you know, Josiah was talking and praying about this and him and Kimber and then many of you went on that faith journey with them and, you know, praying at their house and at different places. And so for me to walk in this morning and see the reality of what God is doing, not just in their lives, but also in, in your lives and what God is doing in this community was just awesome. So I'm honored to be here with you this morning. I'm excited to be here, excited to be in the book of Mark. So uh, like Josiah said, Mark chapter three, we're going to start in verse one in a second. And we're looking at Jesus on mission. And sometimes it's controversial um, to many groups of people, um, but he's Making you make a decision is not just about talking about the things that he taught, but what is, who is Jesus and what did he do? And I know Josiah said many times, and you decide. You know, look at Jesus' life. Look at what he did, and you decide. Uh, but before we start, I want you to do something. So look at the person next to you. Find somebody next to you. Say, I don't know what you heard, but Jesus is for everybody. One more time. I don't know what you heard, but Jesus is for everybody. Jesus is for everybody. I think we're going to see that even more. Sometimes we get in our little citadels of righteousness and we forget that Jesus is for everyone. Um, so before we just get into the word, let me pray um, and then we'll, we'll dive right in. God, I thank you for this time because it's your time. It's not my time. It's not our time. It's your time. And um, Lord, make, make it impactful because of your word. Um, you do and, and you say in your word, it never returns void. So um, we know that to be true. And so God, as we look at um, Jesus, as we look at what your son did, um, Lord, just let it speak to us. Let it speak to us today. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So how many people growing up, I don't know if any of you guys growing up played board games, played card games. I don't know if there's anyone like that in here, but that's what I did growing up, whether it was like Uno or whether it was the game of life, right? It took like seven hours or whether it was Monopoly. We just played games in our house, whether it was my family or my friends, we just played games. And that was one of the things that we did. Um, then video games ruined it all. Um, but you know, one of the things that I always got frustrated with was there's always certain people in those games. Like there was the one person, how many people know the person who cheats, right? There's the one person who's always cheating. Okay, don't raise your hand if that's you. Uh, and they're always like somehow you're wondering like where, how do you get that much money? Like they pass go and they have like $400 to $200. Like how did you, how'd that happen? Um, you never let them be the banker. But somehow like they're always cheating and you just, you can't always catch them. But that person didn't annoy me as much as the, this person, there was the person who um, always constantly made up rules. Anyone know that person? And don't point to anyone in here, we don't want to, you know, but there's the person who always constantly, like they made up rules. So you're going along and they, and they make up rules and you're like, wait a minute, how did that happen? And all of a sudden, and they just keep building on to what's happening. And as it goes further, they just keep making up more rules. You don't even know how it happened. And then you ask them and they'll be like, nah, bro, we always play like this. And you're like, no, you don't. And then, you know, you keep going and you either have one or two choices. You can either get really frustrated and quit, but then they get you. They're like, oh, so you're going to quit? Well, I guess I win. I guess I'm better. And then you're like, oh, I guess I'll stay. And then if you stay, you're just really frustrated. You look like this person right here. Just like pull your hair out and you're like, I'm never playing with you again until next week. And then you just torture yourself all over again. But <laughs> when I read this passage, what we're going to get into in Mark chapter 3, um, and even, you know, in the end of uh, chapter 2, so we may even go back to verse 27 and 28 before we start, it reminds me of that. This group of people, 
these religious leaders, these Pharisees remind me of that person who constantly just make up rules and constantly make up a system. They set up a system so that they can get to the point where they're always on top. Somehow they're always doing well and no one else seems to be doing as well as them and they're always looking down on people and it's, it's frustrating and I think, you know, just as we get frustrated, Jesus is frustrated with them and he's tired of it and he confronts them in this passage. It's not the beginning, it's almost like part two because we're talking about the Sabbath. So before verse one in chapter three, let me go back to verse 27 and 28. So read with me verse 227 and 28, because this is a continuation from last week. Really, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So good. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then we get to verse one in chapter three. He entered again into a synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. Now I want to stop for a second. A man was there whose hand was withered. Um, thank you, Luke. If you look in the Gospel of Luke, Luke gives us all the details, right? And so he's the one who lets us know it was that man's right hand um, that was withered. And you can imagine that happening to someone is a debilitating thing, right? It kind of takes out, you know, whatever they're going to do. Most people are right-handed, and so, you know, if you're right-handed, that's really going to limit your trade or limit your profession. Actually, there's a historian, Jerome, who tells us that um, this person probably was a stonemason. So think about that. If he's a stonemason, then he's really not going to be able to do his profession. He's got to use, all of a sudden now, his left hand, and it's going to severely limit what he's able to do in his profession, in his life, and also, you know, with his family. He's going to, you know, men out there making a living for your family. He's not going to be able to do that now. So severely limiting what he's been able to do. And um, at that time, there's, no, there's not a lot of therapy. There's not a lot of surgery that's going to happen um, during this time for this man's hand. So he's just going to have to go through life with this. And even if you're familiar with Jewish teaching, a Jewish teaching a lot of times said that, well, there must have been some sin. There must have been something wrong with that man for him to have his hand like that. I don't know if you remember the disciples in John chapter 9. They're walking with Jesus, and they see the blind man. His disciples say, hey, you know, what sin? Jesus, what sin has this person committed for him to be like that? What, you know, why is it like that? That was the teaching in that day. It must have been some sin. And when you think about this, he probably comes into the synagogue with his hand covered, and maybe a lot of times in a lot of ways alone, you know, in a lot of ways alone. And so he's coming in like that. And imagine the gospel and this, uh, the, excuse me, the gossip and the slander that probably went along with him, you know, just even as he would constantly walk in and people may be whispering, hey, I want, you know, I want, always wonder what, you know, what did he do? You know, I wonder what he did. Why is his hand like that? I wonder why, you know, that's like that. Um, sometimes, you know, unfortunately, People who are going through situations even encounter this type of thing today, the gossip and slander that goes along with it. And so um, he comes in like that. But here's the thing. Jesus always notices those people who need help. Jesus always seems to notice those people who need help. And Jesus is about to do something. See, it's not terminal. What he has is not terminal. And so what Jesus is about to do is interesting because he picks this day the Sabbath day, to do it on. He could have picked a day later on in the week to do what he's about to do, but Jesus picks this day on purpose. It didn't have to happen right there in the synagogue. It could have happened in a different spot. But what Jesus is about to do is, is important, and the day on which he's going to do it is also important. And I think it's an attack 
Jesus is going right at the religious system that all these religious leaders had devised. And if I had to, if I had to think of a title for, for today's message, I'm not big on a lot of titles, but I would just say these two words, a relentless Jesus. We serve a relentless Jesus. And I say that because a relentless Jesus is relentless in his compassion for us. Sometimes it's really tough and it hurts us and it, it, you know, it gets at us, but he's relentless in his aggressiveness towards our sin. And more than anything, he's relentless in his love towards us. And I think even in these short six verses, we see that. And even if you go back to Genesis, Genesis 2 and 3, um, you, you see, you know, the idea for why they would have developed, you know, they had this idea of like, hey, let's keep the Sabbath holy in the sense that let's rest. Let's focus on Christ. When the world was created, God rested. But now it's been complicated. Okay? It's kind of been muddled to the point where we have this and there's so many rules. And this was kind of like for the for the religious teachers, this was the jewel of all their teaching. Like this was it. This was one of the main focuses that happens. But let's see what happens next. So verse two and three. They were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. There's two interesting phrases to me that fall there. One is this. They were watching him. They were watching him to see. See, they didn't come to worship. They came to watch Jesus. This is a continuation of everything that they were already so upset about before. They came to watch him. But if you look at Jesus, Jesus is noticing those who need compassion. He's noticing those who need help. He always sees people. He has a heart for people. I think this actually spills over into his disciples who are with him. Because sometimes his disciples, uh, you know, Peter and John, especially Peter, seems to always be like, you know, not getting the lesson. You ever watch Peter? He always seems to be like the most hard-headed one, like not getting anything. But I think even this compassion spills over into Peter and John and, and Acts chapter three and four. You see Peter and John, you know, like, I don't know if you ever watch Star Wars, any Star Wars fans in here, but I'm a big Star Wars fan. I always see like Jedi Knight, so I always want to be like a Jedi Knight. And it's like, by the time Jesus is gone, like Peter and John have like got all the lessons of Jesus. They're like Jedi Knights, you know. You ever see Luke, Luke comes to the door and the guard's there and the guard's like, hey, you know, Luke, like let me in and the guards like I'm not letting you in and Luke goes whoa and the guards like I will let you in you know he's like but you see Peter and John by this time are like Jedi Knights they're they're healing people they're doing things you know in the sense it's not their power it's Jesus they say that all the time but one of the even even just to see this trickle down effect one of the things that I love is in, in Acts chapter 3 when when Peter and John heal someone they say one of the words is Peter fixed his gaze on him they watched Jesus see people in need they watched Jesus demonstrate compassion and even his disciples later on had that so Jesus has that compassion for us you know guys he has that compassion for us he sees what's withered in our life he sees you know some of our thoughts some of the areas in our life that you know and in some ways are just like this man's hand um, he sees the areas that other people can't see we can see physical things but Jesus sees the spiritual things in our life and he knows what's withered he knows what's withered in my life, he knows what's withered in our lives. And Jesus is compassionate in our helplessness. In our helplessness, Jesus is a compassionate, compassionate God. Now listen, the law prescribed lots of things. So Jesus is about to do something 
on a day that he knows is going to stir up things. He knows it's going to intensify. He knows it's going to kind of cause an uproar. And there's some interesting things. So the law prescribed that you could get aid on the Sabbath, even if, unless, only if it was a life-threatening thing. Okay, so you could get aid on the Sabbath if, if it was a life-threatening thing. So, you know, like you couldn't, imagine you broke your arm. I don't know if anyone here has broke a bone. You actually couldn't get it set on the Sabbath. You had to wait till the next day to be able to get it set. How many people would want to wait till the next day for that? I don't know if I would want to wait for that. Like, hey, you know, just wait. I know it hurts, but, you know, um, just hold on. You know, if you were cut or bleeding, they would stop the bleeding, but no stitches. No stitches on the Sabbath. You know, you always hear snitches get stitches, but not on the Sabbath. Just kidding. Um, you know, you couldn't have that happen to you. Um, if, if it happened to fall that the eighth day, you talk about circumcision. If it happened to fall that the eighth day um, happened to be on the Sabbath, you could get circumcised on the Sabbath for that reason. And this is the one that I love. Ladies, you can actually have a child on the Sabbath. Yeah. It's okay. We, we want to make that. They want to make that concession for you. Think about that. You're like, they wonder, I wonder who developed that. If it was like someone's wife was like, no. And then she was like, you better make that long. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, but it's like, okay, thank you. You can have a baby. You know, we're having this baby no matter what. Um, so, you know, you think about those things, and those are some of the things. But so what Jesus says is in verse 3, get up and come forward. In other versions, it says, stand forth. Okay, And it's not just like, you know, stand forth. Quietly, Jesus basically says, like, pointing to someone in the back, hey, stand forth. So now this person gets up and he has a withered hand and imagine, you know, what's going through his mind. I remember being in, in school when a teacher would call on me and say, Steve Mayo. I'm like, oh, boy, great. Either is one is going 50-50. Either I'm going to get praise or I'm going to go down right here in front of everybody. So I wonder what he was thinking in his mind, like, man, now I'm going to be outed or I'm going to be, you know, Something's going to focus on me in front of everyone, and he probably didn't think it would actually be a good thing. And then let's read verse 4. And he said to them, religious teachers, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. See, obviously, if you don't save a life, you're killing it. And if they say it's lawful to do good and save a life. They would be unable to accuse, so they're stuck. Jesus puts them in a point where they're stuck and they can't say anything because either they're going to side with him or they're going to say, obviously, something that's totally wrong against the law. And so they don't really have anything to say at this point. You know, on one hand, they would agree with Jesus. On the other hand, they would obviously be merciless and wicked, which actually Jesus wants to expose. He wants to expose that mercilessness that they have. He wants to expose that wickedness. And um, it's one of those moments where I love this. It says, you know, but they kept silent. In other versions, it says they kept their peace. It's just quiet. And I, I love this because I have a microphone, but I feel like Jesus had, like, tons of drop-the-mic moments before there was a microphone. Um, I feel like that was a drop-the-mic moment. There's no microphone. But um, everyone's like, ooh. You know, what are you going to say? Because that's what Jesus does. He puts them at a point where they have nothing to say. Another layer, which I think is even more deep, and you can kind of see this in verse 6, but we'll get to it, almost is this. Is it lawful to kill? Because another layer is they're trying to figure out how to get rid of him on the Sabbath. So everyone think about that for a second. 
Jesus says, hey, you're, you're asking me, is it lawful to do, you know, is it lawful to do this thing? You know, or I'm posing this question, is it lawful to do this good thing? But I want to ask you, is it lawful to do what you're thinking in your minds and what you have in your hearts? Because I know what you're thinking in your mind and I know what's in your heart. And imagine them, you know, having that. One of the things, so just for a second, we're not going to veer off too much from uh, Mark. But if you want to turn to Isaiah 1, 11 through 16, and I think this is a great passage to go back to because as you turn back to Isaiah chapter 1, those religious leaders and teachers, they knew this. What I'm about to read, they knew. And I think that Jesus was thinking about this, maybe even thinking about 1 Kings 13. I don't know if you've read that passage, 1 Kings 13, but it also talks about um, a healing and how, um, you know, a, 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 withered, a withered hand from, uh, from someone who was trying to, to grab a prophet. Um, you know, that, there's another teaching they would have knew. But Isaiah 1, 11 through 16, and it says this. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of the fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. I'm sick of your external stuff. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts, Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon, and new, new moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I'm sick of your Sabbaths. I hate your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your prayers are covered with blood. And he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. See, Jesus doesn't hesitate to confront religious leaders. And they knew that. These religious leaders knew that. If they knew the law, they knew that passage where Jesus says, all the things that you're doing, that's great. You're doing lots of things, but your heart is far from me. It's like 1 Samuel 16, 7. What a great verse that man sees the outward appearances, but God sees the heart. You know, all leading up to this through Mark chapter 2 and even into chapter 3. It reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount in, in chapter 5 of Matthew where Jesus says, listen, your righteousness needs to exceed those of the Pharisees because what I want is your heart. I don't want your external things. I want your heart. And so as Jesus does this, he confronts them and they have nothing to say. It's one of those moments I remember in, in John chapter 8, the adulterous woman, as Jesus dealt with that group of people in front of her. And it says, what is it? Everyone walked out quietly. No one had anything to do after that moment because Jesus is aggressive towards the sin in our life. So he could have did that in a non-confrontational way. Jesus could have easily figured out a non-confrontational way to deal with that. But I think... He does this because he is aggressive towards the sin in our life. That's Jesus, and that's a love that sometimes hurts, but he's aggressive towards the sin in our life. Think about the Samaritan woman in, in John chapter 4. You go back to John chapter 4, and as Jesus starts to question her, and as he starts to deal with the things in her life, you know, it's interesting as she gets in there, you know, and he, he starts to really, really get deep. You know, the person you're with now is not your husband, and you've had other, other people who were your husbands. He's like, oh. She's like, all right, let me change the subject. Hey, where's the, where's the proper place to worship? You know, totally flips the script because Jesus is saying, I love you. He says that to us. I love you, but I'm aggressive towards your sin 
because your sin is hindering me from coming. Your sin is hindering you from coming to me. One more verse right there in Isaiah, verse 17. Continued. Reprove, so this is what Jesus really wants. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Ruthless people need to be reproved. Orphans need to be protected. Widows need to be cared for. That's what Jesus wants, not the hypocritical Sabbaths. See, I think Jesus forces the Pharisees into something that I call the corner of compassion. Either you're going to go against the law or you're going to be forced to go into the corner of compassion. And that's where they were stuck. So let's look at verse 5. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Now, that's amazing. Everyone in there should have been rejoicing. Go back to the beginning of that verse, though. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. How many people have ever been angry? <laughs> like yesterday, this morning? Um, you know, the word there, the Greek word for that anger is orge, and it means a deep, burning anger. Jesus had a deep burning anger for what he saw, not necessarily a deep burning anger for them, but a deep burning anger for what was what was hindering them from really seeing what was hindering them from helping other people to really come in to see Jesus. And the other word there is grieved, porosis, grieved, meaning so deeply saddened for the, the marble like hardness of their heart that these guys could not see what they were in and what they were continually bringing other people in. It's like it had so much of a stranglehold on them. Jesus says, forget your system. Take your stranglehold away so you can actually come to meet me, so you can come to see me. And, and that's what he was angry about. And I think it's good for us sometimes, too, because anger is, is, is a necessary part of love. The righteous anger, though, that Jesus had. Now, the righteous anger that Jesus had was a necessary part of love because he can't stand sin. And I think Jesus was angry because he was hurt that these people were causing others to miss the true point, to miss him. You know, I was really angry. I don't know about you, but I remember I was a teacher, 2001, and I was my, actually my first year teaching. And this is in the first couple weeks because this is September 11th, so many of you remember, unfortunately, that day. And I remember when that happened, I was really angry. I don't know if you were angry that day, but I was really angry, and I was mad, and I was frustrated about what happened, and my anger, I'm sure my anger wasn't righteous like Jesus, I was angry at the people too, um, but, you know, I was really frustrated for what happened, that that sin ultimately could cause that to happen, and I haven't felt that deep anger for a long time until recently, and what happened, you know, like just down the road with um, Stoneman Douglas. And I remember the same thing, feeling that anger, not even necessarily towards the person, because when you start to hear, obviously, he was tormented in a lot of different ways, but just angry that once again, that, um, you know, sin had been able to cause this tragedy and having that anger. And, you know, Jesus has that anger, but it's a righteous anger. You know, what are we supposed to do with that? What well, Jesus takes in, and we've seen Jesus, obviously, in the temples at the beginning and the end of his ministry almost, you know, being really frustrated with things that are not right, and that righteous anger. Now, uh, 
personally for me, I'm like the definition of what not to do when you get angry. If you looked up in like Wikipedia, like dumb things to do when you get angry, my face would probably be like, they're like, hey, um, you know, just act like an idiot when you're angry, Steve Mayo. Um, but, you know, what we should do is have that righteous anger and then say, okay, Lord, and, and start to focus it in. But it, it shows us that, you know, there is a righteous anger that comes with injustice, and we see Jesus there. But it's also interesting. I think we see it there, but we also see it um, as we go into verse 6, and I'll read that in a second. Actually, read it now. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as how they might destroy him. See, his reaction to the religious leaders does not ultimately end in unrighteous action. But think about their reaction to Jesus. Think about their anger. Think about where their anger calls them to do in verse 6. Their anger calls them to go out and says, almost like Josiah talked about in the beginning of this intro, that's it. This is the last straw. We got to get him. This has to stop. And they're missing the point. But even in Jesus' anger, there's an anger, but there's a sadness because he says, I still want you to come to me. I really struggle with ISIS. Give you one more example. I really struggle when I see that. But there's a righteousness. You know, if you read ISIS, it reminds me of like reading Jonah. And you're saying, ah, this frustration, this anger. But Jesus says, even still, go preach to those people. Even still, go out. And try to show my compassion to those people because I have love for them. And one more thing we forget is that was you. So every time I read this and I'm so frustrated with, you know, even the Pharisees in this passage, it kind of brings me back to say, hey, guess what? I had to save you too before you put yourself even above the Pharisees as you read this passage. Just remember that I saved you too. See, Jesus' reaction is different because Jesus is relentless in his love for us. Jesus is relentless in his love for us. A Jesus compassionate towards those who need help. A Jesus who's aggressive always towards our sin, but relentless in his love for us. It's kind of crazy because this Sunday, as Josiah mentions, Palm Sunday, and we think about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that day, and then even what was happening by the end of the week. But even during that week, we see Jesus dealing with some of the same things that he dealt with. In Mark chapter 3 right here, we see him dealing with people in the temple and getting angry. We see him dealing with testing. One of the things that he says, not to steal your thunder by the time you guys get to chapter 12, but Jesus says this in chapter 12 because they're still testing him. Why are you testing me? That's the words that he used. Why are you testing me? Still dealing with some of the same things. And he's, he's always, Jesus seems to be always upsetting the scene, but it's a good thing. Think about this. Jesus goes to the synagogue and a demon starts screaming and he heals with that. Many of you have heard that. He goes to Peter's house where his mother-in-law has a fever and he heals her. And then all of a sudden there's crowds coming from everywhere. You know, he's upsetting the scene. It's getting more intense. It's intensifying. He's teaching and a man gets let down through the roof. You know, if you were here the past couple weeks, you heard that being taught. And what does he say? Your sins are forgiven. What? You've, how can you forgive this man? Who are you? How can you forgive this man's sins? And then he heals them, and it gets even more intense. He calls Matthew a tax collector, who people would be so frustrated. How can he do anything righteous from the perspective of Pharisees and religious leaders? And Jesus continues, and even into this in chapter 3, where he heals a man's hand on the Sabbath, 
they get to the point where they say, we must destroy him. And I want to go back to verse 5. Stretch out your hand. Put it forth. Now think about a withered hand that he takes and puts forth. I always am amazed that Jesus did not say to him, your hand is healed. Because it's just like for all of us. He wants us to exhibit faith. There's a faith that's exhibited with stretch forth your hand. And say your hand was healed. He said, put it forth. That's an active thing. You're actively putting your hand forth. You know, and then his hand was healed or his hand was restored. That's a passive thing. Passive because it, it happened to him. His hand was healed because he obeyed. He put it forth and it was healed. Jesus does this with us. You know, there might be something this morning that Jesus is asking you to put forth. There might be something this morning that Jesus is saying, hey, in faith, this is what I want you to do. This may be an area of your life that has been withered. This may be an area of your life that has to be restored. And all I'm asking for you to do is put it forth. I'll restore it. I ask you to put it forth. I'll heal it. I just want you to put it out there in faith. I think about that man in front of everyone who they all knew probably probably hit his hand many times, you know, and it just so it didn't have to be a point of, you know, observation. Now having to maybe even take it out, I don't know, I wasn't there, but having to take it out from under a cloak or clothing and to stretch it forth and to watch Jesus heal it. Think something that was withdrawn that has to now be back in sight. What's withdrawn in our lives that we need to put before Jesus, that we need to put before him so that it can be restored? What's withered that we need to give to Jesus? I had a pastor in my church. He would always say, a big, boisterous pastor when I would go. I was young, Sunday school, and always say, God is in the business of restoring. He would always say, I can't, I don't know anything else he said. I just remember that. He always said, God is in the business of restoring. I was like, okay. And I was like eight. And I was like, I don't know what that means. But hey, I remember that you said that. But it's so true. God's in the business of restoring. Think about this. 19 bones, 35 muscles, 53 different movements without the wrist that Jesus restores. And I always, I don't know if you ever, when I was a kid, I loved Rice Krispie Treats. And so I'd always carry like a Rice Krispie Treat in my back. And now I forget it. And you know you can forget it and leave it in your backpack. It'd be all crunchy when you pull it out. And be crap. I'm wondering, like, did this sound like a Rice Krispie Treat? Like when his hand got, like, that's a lot of popping or bones or this one. Like that had to be interesting. Hey, maybe Jesus did it without sound. I don't know. But he puts forth his hand and it's restored. And I'm just thinking about the witheredness, maybe in this room, the witheredness in our world. People who are withered with alcohol, people who are withered with pornography, people who are withered with pain and abuse that they've had happen to them or that they've been doing, people who are withered with idols. I was um, at a retreat at Calvary Christian Academy. We have these retreats for our grades, and um, I was at a 10th grade retreat and it's about honor and it was awesome because I watched throughout the week there's one part where parents write a letter to their children and I watched them open up their letters and read it and I watched students um, all throughout those three days but I watched students even especially on that morning 
I watched things that were withered start to become restored. All around the room, I was watching things that were there. And it was just like Niagara Falls. There was tears everywhere. And there were people who were experiencing God. And there were, and there were students who had shared even across those couple days about areas in their life. And I'm thinking, man, Lord, they're only 15 years old. They're only 16 years old. How can already our world be so riddled with sin that things are withered already at 15, 16? But there are. And some of us have those same hurts in our lives that we need to put forth to Jesus because he restored it. And it was a great picture. It was a great moment because I watched things that were withered become restored. I watched Jesus heal in that moment. And I think sometimes, hey, man, we forget, you know, that Jesus continues to offer us a way to take what's withered in our own life and restore it for his glory. He continues to offer a way for us to take what's withered in our own life and restore it for his glory. And sometimes we can be thankful for just a simple approach. I'm not someone who would say, don't go to a doctor or don't use medicine, please. Don't continue to take medicine. Um, but I am someone who would say, what about calling the pastor and saying, hey, you know what? I just want you to come pray for me. This is the area that I have. This is the hurt that I have, physical or emotional or spiritual. But even physical, hey, come, can you come anoint me with oil and let's just pray and put that forth and see what God would do. There's people all over the world in religious systems just stuck and they'll never get a chance. Hopefully they will. But some of them are stuck and you will. Will they ever get a chance to experience a God who's so powerful and so simplistic that it confounds the wise. It says Jesus' message is so simplistic. No, there has to be more. I have to do something. There must be a system. Jesus says, no, just come to me, and I'll restore it. People who need to experience that, who are stuck, you know, in those systems, even in, even in 2018, that need to come to Jesus, that need to be restored. And sometimes we forget just the simplicity of coming to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, you're so powerful, we forgot. Because sometimes we develop our network of things that we think. But Jesus, we're so powerful. We think if we get together and gather and pray in this moment, imagine this, that you might do something. He will do something. I remember a group of people gathering and praying for what would be in this room right now. So it's amazing to see that even you here, God is doing something. Because I remember people praying and gathering just for what would happen right here, and now it's a reality. And so even to me, that's amazing. A pastor said, because Jesus' hands endured a hole, what was once withered became whole. That spoke to me. Because Jesus' hands endured a hole, what was once withered became whole. Don't ever let anyone look down on your faith. Don't, any, don't ever let anyone belittle what Jesus can do. And unfortunately, the religious leaders went out. They didn't see it like they don't many times. Since the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring. But even in that moment, Jesus' love is still relentless. Anger, but there's grief and there's hope. Jesus brings hope. You know, it's like a desert, that desert, but then there's streams in the desert that Jesus brings. He, wherever he goes, he continually brings that hope with him. And so if that's you today, if there's an area of your life where you're saying, you know what? I didn't think or I have put this away. I thought this wasn't going to happen. I just pray that even this morning you would have that renewed hope. 
that Jesus would work in your life just like you worked in the lives of so many others and will continue to do. And we can watch him continually restore because he's a God that's compassionate towards us. He's aggressive towards our sin. But most importantly, he's a relentless Jesus. He's relentless in his love towards us. And we can praise him for that today. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this gathering of people because they're the church. It's not the building. We can meet anywhere. It's the people that are here that are the church that go out and are the hands and feet of you in many ways, in many cases, in many people they meet in conversations and actions. And God, help us to be the church. Help us to look for those who need help just like Jesus did. Help us to even in our righteous anger sometimes, help us to still have compassion. And Father, we pray that as much as we could, Lord, as much as you empower us with your Holy Spirit, that we would be relentless in our love towards others and that we would take those things that we thought maybe were once withered, were once withdrawn, that we put away and we would maybe put them forth to you this morning and say, you know what, Lord, we're going to pray again. We're going to hope because you restore. In your name, amen.